this is Scott Becker with the Business Strategy Keys Perspectives for 2020. We've got five great panelists for our discussion today. We'll talk about really a handful of things. What is the core strategy that people work with in their own businesses? How do they differentiate themselves? What's your best advice for people in approaching strategy? And how should business executives approach strategy with regardless of what business people are in? Let me start with asking our panelists to introduce themselves. Amy Hesser, let me start with you and then we'll ask Emily, David, Jamie, and John to introduce themselves. Amy, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Yes. Hello there. Thank you, Scott, for having me on. I'm Amy Hesser, and I'm CEO and founder of Hesser Communications Group. Hesser is an integrated communications firm. We specialize in helping tech and health tech pioneers craft their stories in compelling ways that really move the needle for their respective stakeholder audiences. Our mission is that in the process of assisting these innovators in gaining fame and ultimately fortune, what we're actually doing is making the world a healthier and happier place because of the incredible innovations that they're then successfully bringing to market. Thank you. And Emily, can you take a moment and talk about, give an introduction and just how you founded Lime Red? Sure. I'm Emily Lonegro. I'm uh, the owner of Lime Red. We're, this is our 16th year in business. We are a design agency that focuses on brand strategy and branding. And um, I founded my company because I had a really terrible boss, honestly, and I hated working for him. I knew I could do things better and more ethically. And we are a triple bottom line company. We're a certified B Corporation, which means our legally defined goals are to serve the planet and people as well as profit. And um, that's our focus on our client base is uh, change-making, ethical, transparent, world-changing companies and organizations. Thank you so much. And, and David, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm David Schwab, and uh, I'm a real estate entrepreneur with a background as, as a lawyer. Uh, I split my time uh, between Schwab Realty Group, which is my boutique commercial real estate brokerage, uh, and we focus on primarily below the radar deals. And then uh, the other part of the time, I'm involved in my truck stop business, uh, Fred's Fuel and Food. We own and operate uh, truck stops. We're an independent truck stop company and we're an innovator and disruptor uh, in the arena. And we're utilizing professional grade management and other techniques to uh, make waves. Well, that's fantastic. You started as a lawyer, ended up in real estate, and then as a truck stop business, and lots of different thoughts on how you distinguish your business there. And the same with Emily and Amy. Jamie, you do something fascinating. Can you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience? Sure thing, Scott, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast again. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. I am the Director of Trend and Consumer Forecasting at Street Sense, which is a designed experience-focused design firm. We create brands people love and places people want to be. So we are also in real estate, which is super fun. We focus on the experience of it and what the consumer wants. 
So we recently actually got a 50% investment from CBRE, which is a very big real estate company. And so we're supporting their teams in New York, LA, Madrid, and all over the country in differentiating themselves in the marketplace by thinking of the consumer and thinking about the places that they want to be drawing influences from hospitality to co-working to multifamily and seeing where the convergence is and where those trends are going. Thank you very much, Jamie. You've done fascinating work throughout your career on consumer trends and what, how the world is changing and really interesting stuff. John, let me ask you to take a moment to introduce yourself and what you do. Sure, Scott. Thanks. Uh, my name is John Ninkovich. I'm the owner of a company called Performance Group and our mission is really pretty simple. It's really about helping organizations to improve their performance. And you know, in that in, in that vein, I, I really work as a, a business advisor, a coach. I actually do some speaking for the Vistage organization and work with small and mid-sized companies from everybody from startup to you know three hundred million dollars in revenue. Uh, my focus is working with you know business owners, could be business partners, uh, CEOs. Uh, and then their teams to help them uh, build build their organization, help them really get those teams uh, working very collaboratively together, getting everybody to run the same direction. So those organizations consistently achieve business results and, and then also help their employees achieve their personal goals. Thank you. And I'll come back around in the opposite direction we started in. So John, I'll start with you. And here's part of the premise of the discussion today. Is the world has moved towards where there's these Big platform companies, uh, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Netflixes, et cetera, et cetera, LinkedIn. Then beneath those platforms, in almost every area, whether it's retail, advisory services, there are tons to millions of small to mid-sized businesses trying to carve out an entrepreneurial place in business today and to have a purpose and a reason for doing so. So sort of the question I'd start with, John, and then I'll go through this, the group, is how do you go about in your services distinguishing yourself, differentiating yourself, so that continue, people continue to hire your team and you, uh, and, and, and sort of how do you define those differences to make the performance group and what you do special and have a place in our entrepreneurial world? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's actually some data out there, and it's part of what I, when I speak, I, I reflect on that data. I, mean, I think the data is pretty consistent for a long time, but I, I think 96% of companies in the United States um, are below a million dollars in revenue and 10 full-time equivalents. So if you're above that number, you're really in rarefied air. Really goes to show you where the opportunity is at and what drives our, our GDP, our, our economy. Um, and, and so, you know, my work is really, uh, helping organizations, almost always at the ownership level, the CEO level, or the, or the partner level, really helping them to understand what's a vision that they have really for the company and, and really how do they want to get there um, and meeting them where they're at. So you know, in my journey working with clients, every client that I work with is uniquely different. The circumstances, the situations in their business are uniquely different. And so the reason I think that we're successful, uh, continuing to build our businesses, we're really focused on meeting our clients where they're at and uh, not force fitting what we think the solution is down their throat. We're really working with them to come up with the right services and solutions that they can best manage, but best actually implement and be successful. And, you know, I, I, I think the thing for us that 
you know, where we're successful is really intimate with our clients. You know, our success is their success, and we really work hard to get to the truth. And you know, we run at hard issues. Uh, we run right at hard problems. We work with teams around what are the interpersonal challenges that happen in teams. And, and how do we really deal with the facts so that we can get get those 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 people in those teams to really uh, work collectively together? And the reason is if people really aren't aligned about where an organization is going or how they work together, uh, then then the organization doesn't perform at the level it needs to. And I think all of us in our professional career and even our personal lives, we know what that looks like, right? So if you think about if you're if you're in a, uh, a relationship with a, a husband or wife or a partner, how hard is it to be aligned with one one other person? Just imagine if you've got three, four, five, six, ten people, they're part of the team and carrying that alignment with that group of people. <clears throat> it's a lot easier said than done. And so our work is really about how do we get those people aligned towards where's the organization going? What are the most important priorities? How do we get everybody committed to that? And how do we go execute the daylights out of that? So really working very intimately with your with your clients and staying very close to them, yep. which is something that helps you differentiate yourself as a smaller consulting firm yep. versus a massive consulting firm where they might not be as close, not as responded to, yep. not tied as closely, and might have one way of doing things. That's exactly right. Yeah. If I get calls 724 for the issues that you run into running a, uh, you know, running a business. So yeah, I would say that's true. <laughs> No, it's it's really helpful, and I think that's more and more where the business world has moved towards. If you're going to be one of these non-platform businesses, you have to be so close to your customer and your constituents, no matter who that is. Jamie, similar question for you. How do you, in street sense, differentiate yourself in this increasingly complicated world so that people continue to keep coming back to your firm? Mm, great question, Scott. And there are a couple of ways that we like to think about our work. The first is we really like to start with research. So before we begin designing or coming up with a concept, that's one of the things that makes us very different from other agencies or other design firms is that we really want to know who the consumer is. Everything is shifting so quickly right now from millennials to Gen Z to actually my children who are five and two years old, they're the alpha generation. And their habits and behavioral spending patterns are changing all the time. So we really wanna be up on what the consumer wants. So whether my team at StreetSense is designing a hotel or an office or a multifamily apartment, we want to think about who are the people that are gonna be living, working and playing in those spaces. So we really start with the consumer and do our research there and think about who the audience is. And then on the other side, when we're working with our clients and they might be developers or they might be property managers or who are, they might be hoteliers, we like to think of ourselves as partners. We're not an agency, we're not separate from them. We actually come in and do full day charrettes with their team members because they're really the experts at their business and Marriott is an expert at what they do. But we come in and we try to be an extension of their team. We just like to go deeper with the research and really get our hands dirty with them and have all the players at the table working together. Um, and we find the combination of that too, like starting with the research and then working with our clients as a team, that we create a nice family type of environment where everyone wants to work together and collaborate. And that's really where the ideas spark and um, the magic happens. 
That's fantastic. And so John had talked about a different level of closeness with customers, the level of responsiveness to differentiate itself in his firm. You've talked about something, two different things, really a different level of research and understanding of the client situation and of the trends, and then trying to tie very close to the client uh, and, and staying very connected as ways of differentiating and how you approach strategy and how you approach the business. Jamie, is that a fair sense? Yes, definitely. And the thing about when you're working in real estate, especially you know when you're working with projects that are going to come online and deliver two, three, five years out, being ahead of the curve and knowing what those trends are and looking at the demographics ahead of time makes a pivotal difference in the product that's being created and provides a larger return on investment for our clients. Fascinating, and, and thank you. So really digging deeper, default level understanding, and then tightly tying to the client to make sure this works closely with them in a very close fashion. David, let me ask you a similar question, and you're in a couple different businesses. You're both a real estate investor. You're also an operator of truck stops. How have you looked at differentiating strategy, differentiating what you do, so that you're successful in this increasingly platformed world? Well, I think you got to first understand how most of the world is doing the same thing, and you know they're in the number of cases spinning their wheels, and inevitably whether it's in commercial real estate or in the truck stop business, there, there are companies, a uh, small concentration that probably do, you know, 80% of all the deals and get 80% of the customers. And there may be 20, really 20% of the players in the industry. So you got to try to distinguish yourself within that 20% slot of the marketplace. And so you, you cannot be a copycat. You have to be an innovator. So, on the commercial brokerage side, um, we do primarily below the radar uh, deals. We, we're not out there trying to get uh, someone that may own the Sears Tower to get them to list with us because it would be uh, an exercise in futility. Uh, what we do and we do very effectively is we uh, develop personal relationships, close relationships with both buyers and sellers of commercial real estate, and many of them trade back and forth between that. Some are buyers at one moment, another they're, they're sellers. And uh, we take kind of an investment banking approach to uh, helping someone dispose of an asset or acquire an asset. And it's very effective. We, we don't have to talk to thousands of people or send out a thousand emails. Uh, we, you know, really home in on, on the right uh, potential parties for deals. On the truck stop side, um, there are three major truck stop chains that dominate now the truck stop industry, and they're really hammering the independence. And what we figured out is we're, we're not going to try to sell diesel. We're not going to focus too hard on the mega fleets. The big three <clears throat> fight each other over business with the mega fleets, and they work on a, what's called a, a cost plus basis. We do discounting, but we do it on a retail minus, and we go after small to medium-sized fleets and, and owner-operators. And the one common thing between both industries I noticed is that when you have very large players in the industry, there's even a, a you know some corruption that kind of creeps in. Uh, there, you know, like pilot travel centers, they got they got busted for rebate fraud. Uh, 
you know, in trying to pick up fleets, they overpromised and purposely underdelivered on the rebates. We sense that there are, you know, decision makers and some large uh, truck fleet companies that uh, might be swayed to send their business to one of the mega truck stop chains because maybe they're getting trips to Vegas or Hawaii or, or golf trips in Scotland. You know, when you see that kind of stuff, you you have to say, you know, I, I, I don't want to be anywhere close to that. And I want to, you know, go after a niche that's underserved or, you know, poorly served. And by the way, the same thing we've seen on the commercial real estate side, that there is some corruption, uh, you know, with, with listing processes. Yeah, I think what you've said is brilliant. It's basically, look, we're not trying to play against the billion-dollar players. At least we're not trying to compete head-on with them. And when we do, we're in right. trouble. Rather, we've tried yeah. to find our niches, our parts of the market. How did you go about deciding on your parts of the market to target so that you're not fighting against, on the commercial real estate broker side, it might not be fighting against CBRE, as Jamie mentioned, as a, as a, as a client with them on the design side. How did you get to these strategies and understand, I'm not going to fight the fight they're fighting. I'm going to fight a fight I can win. How did you get to that spot? Well, I think you get to first, you know, like see, figure out how the industry works, see who are the most successful and, and see, you know, and figure out if you can do what they're doing. And like on the brokerage side, I came to the conclusion very quickly that it's not the highest and best use of my time to, to use you know, my, myself or have associates <clears throat> calling people all day long, like telemarketing people, calling property owners and saying, hey, we want to list your property. Hey, we've got someone looking and ha how about we list your property? It, it really, it, it, you're not using your brain. And that might be one of the signs. Like if, if you're not using your intellect to provide professional services and it's just kind of like a dialing for dollars game, then you got to figure out a different way. And you know, part of it is just getting out there talking to people. And the one thing I found was that it, it was very competitive, and it still is, to find, say, apartment complexes and, and other rental properties. There's a lot of competition. And there are some well-heeled buyers that don't want to be part of a uh, listing process where, you know, the big shots like CBRE put out a, a listing and they say, hey, bids are due, you know, in 14 days. And you know, you could be one of 50 bidders. Um, I have strong loyalty from buyers who know that, like, they're they're not uh, uh, part of a huge crowd of people vying for the same property. It, it, it comes back to focusing your resources well where you can win. And, and then it's something similar to what John said, at least intimacy of network, closeness of network, that you're really working closer with people. So hopefully you could differentiate yourself from the biggest, some of the biggest players. Let me do this. Let me move on to Emily, because we'll come back to everybody in a few moments with the next question. Emily, you've built this great firm. You're fascinating to talk to. Talk for a moment about how you differentiate what you do and your firm does. Yeah, well, I mean, we only work with companies whose missions we believe in. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at purpose in everything we do. And we, we're, I'm, I am personally interested in the underdog and helping that person succeed. I'm interested in helping the people, the organizations, the companies who haven't had a leg up or haven't had a golden parachute or haven't had, you know, a, a, fa a rich family investor give them all this money to succeed. I'm looking for the people 
whose drive and ethics and perspective change the world. And that's, that's what we, what my company and my employees and my partners can get behind. We only do work we believe in. And I pay just as much attention to the ecosystem my business exists in as I do to the business that I run. So my, my job is to just to bring everyone with us. So we've differentiated a lot by doing a lot of events with partners to bring in different industries that we're interested in working in. Like we have an event series called Defy Convention. And Defy Convention is about bringing uh, disruptors in different categories together to work through business problems together with expert perspective, but also industry professionals as a networking thing, but also as a really constructive feedback event. And so I'm always trying to figure out, and this is not making me money either, but I'm always trying to figure out how can I help the most people, the most basically. And so we, we look at how we price, we are very transparent with how we price. A lot of design agencies hide their pricing. We publish ours on our website. I only work in flat fees. I have a lot of free things. I have a lot of things. I have a, wrote a book that's $25, you know, and we have services that go up to like hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I really try to look at how can I help everyone in some way and how can we lift more people at once than just the people who always had the chance. One of the things I love about talking to you, and, and people may not fully understand this, is aside from being highly successful, you're also completely passionate and completely sincere. Does that work as sort of a business strategy? Do, do people seek you out because they know that you're not trying to make every last dollar, but you are bringing passionate help? in your heart and mind to what they're doing. Does that work as a business strategy? Um, well, I'm in 16 years in business this year. So I'd say yes. I don't know how else to be. Why would I lie? It, yeah, no, and I don't, I don't mean it. I don't mean it as a, well, I don't no, mean it as a, um, it's not a, it's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> I think, I think many people yeah. would like to be, to be like you. Well, yeah, that you're both passionate, you're sincere and you're successful. And so how do people come to know you so that they then hire you, you know, and, and it's got to really lead and be true because people won't stay with you. They hear the message, but don't feel it. So I know it's successful. Sure. How have you been able to be yourself in that way and be successful? Because I think people are hungry for that type of knowledge. And then, Emmy, I'd love you to speak up just a little bit louder so people can hear you better. But how did you sort of get out in front of business and do this? Because I think people, there's many people that would like to be more like that, which is passionate, successful, you know, and sincere. Well, you know, it didn't start with successful. <laughs> it started with sincere. And I think that that's a lot of things. I think that's what people are looking for. I know that the community that I'm building, I'm also building another um, a very large cooperative agency alongside mine that feeds uh, the whole ecosystem of my network. So, you know, the business ideas came from the sincerity and the ethics, honestly. And, you know, we win awards for governance and I'm really proud of those kinds of things. I, you know, not always made a lot of money and um, that's not my end goal. And um, I sleep at night and I feel good about the work we do. And that's to me, the most important thing. And, just even in this last year, you know, we've even gotten smaller and smaller and more niche and um, 
more focused on just a very slim line of service because it's something that we just truly care about. We see the most impact for. I, I would hope that most people would say the thing that they think is true. Um, I just know that the younger audiences, my, my employees are looking for that in terms of leadership. And so are the people that we work, work with. So, so far so good. Thank you. you know, I, think it's, I think it's fantastic. And, and one of the messages is if you build something great, the customers come and the money comes, which is so important. If you start with greatness, then generally, and, you're, and you keep your eyes on the prize, like David has done, like some of the others have done, ultimately the clients come. John, the same thing, and Jamie, the same thing. If you start with, I want to be great at what I do and give great service or think strategically and give great service and do great things, the, the dollars will often come as long as you're keeping your eyes open and trying to figure it out. And so I think it's, it's, it's completely laudable and fantastic. Amy, similar question for you. You do a great job in representing your clients. How do you sort of, in a very crowded field and world, how do you keep clients coming back? How do you attract clients? What differentiates what you do and, and how you build your, your business? Well, we at Hesser really um, fill a gap in the marketplace. And that is, Scott, that we offer big agency senior level expertise, but we do it in a very nimble and cost efficient manner so that we are actually working as an extension of our client's team. And um, so we're doing, in today's um, fast moving information age, digital world, integrated communications marketplace, we are at the very leading edge um, of how our clients can do their storytelling most effectively and most impactfully. Um, and so we're, we're really comfortable working at the pace of startups and um, working in ambiguous environments and just moving very, very fast. So one of the ways that we do that um, is to use like some of the platforms um, that are at everyone's disposal these days um, and are incredible. Uh, one, of our, one of our clients uses Slack for all internal communications and really runs the company on Slack. And um, if some of our listeners out there haven't tried it yet, it is an incredible tool. My husband and I actually run our family on Slack now. We run our household and our teenagers um, using Slack. <laughs> so it's, it's such an immediate and um, easy way to keep things moving at the pace of business today. The other thing we do at Hesser is um, really comprehensive storytelling. And so when we talk about storytelling these days, um, part of that is taking a look at things from an empathetic way. Um, so getting inside the heads and lives um, and motivations of our clients' key stakeholder audiences, really getting inside that and telling the stories in ways that are going to resonate with them and um, really tipping the needle that way. So those are some of the ways that we're different. Uh, we cut out the layers that slow down success. So um, in the very big PR agencies or even integrated marketing firms, um, things will be slowed down 
by layers and layers of people and decisions and hierarchies, whereas um, at Hester we're moving with the level of expertise that's a senior level, but we're moving um, at the pace of startups. So we're, we're executing very quickly. No, and I've heard several things that I think are really helpful, and this is really the key, I think, in today's world, is in all, everybody has spoken to it in a different way, is how are you successful when you're not the thousand person PR organization? You're not, you're not the, 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 the hugest consulting firm. Um, how are you still successful if you're a mid-size, a, a mid-large or small? And the things you've mentioned, speed, senior level attention, staying very close to customers, great storytelling, pricing that makes money, but that's not exorbitant, um, and, and then using the platforms that are out there, uh, not um, reinventing every single thing, finding ways to, to not try and be the custom everything, but to use the platforms that are out there and be great on those platforms, I, I think is great advice. We've got about 10 minutes left, I'm going to work through our panelists in the same order we did that question um, and, and, and really talk about your best advice for people in approaching strategy. Sort of what's your best advice as you talk to your clients or as you look at strategy, the best advice you'd give another person or CEO on strategy. John, let me start with you and get a couple of thoughts from you on how, how you would advise people to look at strategy. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I heard uh, a couple of things from our, our panelists that, that I think are important. You know, David kind of talked about knowing who his ideal client is. And, and I think when I go into all the businesses, I get a chance to go see that really knowing who your ideal clients are, why they're ideal, and how do you find more of those is super important. And that's an area that organizations need to spend more time really doing that work. And, and then I heard Emily talk about purpose and working with purpose-driven organizations, and they want to align with that. And again, I think that's everything today. If you want to create a really high-performing company and you want to be a destination that people want to come work, uh, you really have to align purpose uh, to what, what gets people out of, out of bed every day with mission, which is what business are you in, and then how do you actually create a culture that, that people can come in and, and they can flourish. And so I think thinking about those things is super, super important. You know, when I go into companies, I see a lot of times the purpose and the mission and the core values on a wall, but they've not embedded those in the business. They don't use them really every day. And there's just gigantic opportunities to do that. And so I, I think at a high level, I, I think that's important. And then, you know, when you think about how do you get the work done? So if you figure out that, you know, you want to, you want to, identify who your ideal clients are and how do you get more of those and, and whatever the strategic priorities you come up with really less is more what, what I see in organizations that I work with and quite honestly that I learned in my own in my own career running companies was you know I was always a super aggressive guy and, and want to get 50 things done at the beginning of the year or 60 things done at the, the beginning of the year and at the end of the year you get like 15 done and you wear your team out and you don't feel like you're ever successful so I think it's really important to understand what are the most important strategic uh, priorities for your business in order to drive your, your purpose and, and your mission? And then uh, really focus on those constantly and, and not much more than that. And it's kind of like, uh, I can make everything a sports analogy, but it's really around how do you get first downs and continue to execute consistently, kind of moving the ball down the field 10 yards at a time. And so less is really more and you have to get alignment with your executive team, your leadership team around what are the most important priorities because if they're not aligned, 
if there's any uh, you know any division in the in the team about where you're going and where you're going, you just won't get there effectively. So getting that alignment around we're going this direction and, and here's why, and really vetting that out and talking about that is super important. And you know, the last thing I would say is that you're, you don't run great companies uh, through consensus; you do through collaboration. So people have to have a voice, but in the end, the owner, owners, or CEOs got to make a decision. And everybody in that room, uh, everybody that's a part of the team's got to be committed to go execute. And so, you know, it, it's it's about those kind of things to consistently grow a company. Thank you very, very much. I think I have four or five things I'll just capture very quickly. Know very quickly, very closely, who your client is, who your target is. Know your purpose, it, it, particularly if it's a bigger purpose than just making money. Know the purpose. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Less is more. You have to be, and, and Emily mentioned this as well, greater clarity about what you're doing and who you want to serve uh, makes for a better organization more effective. You also said clarity of goals, and ultimately, yes, the CEO founder's got to make the choice as to what are our goals, what are we doing, but then collaboration is critical in actually achieving those and, and moving things forward. And everything does have to be a home run. Singles, doubles to make progress is very important. Excuse the sports analogy, but to keep on making progress is so critical. Better to have 10 clear goals than 50 that you can't do. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's just fantastic, John. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and, and mission, or purpose can never be about making money. You make money because you, you've executed a purpose and you've connected with people because the purpose resonates with them and they want to come work for your organization. And I think that was Emily talking about the reason she's successful is because they're purpose-driven. And if you do it right, the, the money should come because you're doing the right things. It's fantastic. Thank you. Jamie, a couple of thoughts from you on sort of how you advise people to think about strategy. And, and, and you do a lot of work with people in designing their businesses based on trends and research. How do you think, what's your best advice for people in thinking about business strategy? Yeah, so there's a few things that we think about at Streets and, you know, both internally and also with our clients. It's about communication, community, and retention. So the communication is key for us, you know, communicating with our clients and the proper technology. I mean, now at Streets, since that we're truly a global company and some of our teams are in Madrid or they're on West Coast time in L.A. or in New York, the type of technology that we need to use to collaborate with each other and IA and Zoom and all of those Slack some we mentioned as well on this on the podcast. I mean, all of those things just make the time shorten so that we can get our message across and communicate clearly with our teams, the visuals and the feeling that we're trying to get um, over to our clients and, and our teams. And community is super important. We have to know our audience. In the workplace now, we're working with boomers <laughs> that are leading the, uh, you know, the company all the way down through millennials and Gen Z. And we all have a different mindset, a different time frame. So we all want to make sure that we're working in the same place and that our employees are happy, that they want to stay, and that our teams are happy when they're working with our clients. And then retention is always key. <laughs> We want to keep the clients that we have, and we just want to expand that business by showing that we're partners, you know, working together with them, going deep into the projects with them. And within our teams, we want to keep the people that we have on our teams longer by looking at 
really innovative ways that we can um, change our healthcare plan or bringing wellness into our activity. So we might have a Monday morning meditation in the streets and offices in Bethesda to get our teams motivated instead of a happy hour, which people are like, employers don't want to do that. So then you have the teams hung over at their desk. We want people creative and productive and feeling good. So we've replaced the happy hours with meditation, which has been really successful for us. Well, that's fantastic. And there's a couple sort of clear messages I heard from you in terms of people thinking about strategy. And, and the two things I take out of this, just to summarize quickly, are very deep and very close with your customer or your client or you're working with. The deeper and closer, the better. And, 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 and similarly, the same two things come to mind in teams of your own team. And you can't be deep and close with your customer unless you're deep and close with your own team and collaborating closely and, and so forth. And I think those concepts of being deep and close internally and externally are just a, a great concept. So, Jamie, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. David, your best advice for people on business strategy? Well, I think that one of the most important things is to uh, be a good evaluator of people's character. Uh, because you have to work with teams more than ever to, uh, you know, to, 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 to be successful. And if you have the wrong people working with you, it can put you on a pretty bad uh, vector. So uh, character is very, very important to me. And um, it, I think when you're evaluating people, for whether it's a hiring relationship, uh, you know, customer relationships, you do have to pay attention to uh, some pretty subtle things uh, because that can give you a lot of insight into whether or not the the contemplated relationship will be successful. Um, I would also say that uh, in terms of you know putting together you know plans, use conservative conservative assumptions that uh, in your modeling that are very defensible. I think that there are a lot of people who come up with some pretty impressive plans, but uh, then the assumptions, they haven't done their their research on the assumptions. And I think even when you plan and, and use conservative modeling, things don't always go as expected, but people are more forgiving if you've been thorough and you've exhausted all possibilities because there are all kinds of surprises in life. So. Um, you have to just be be cautious, but at the same time, innovative and think out of the box. So, you know, it's almost a like a a paradox. You know, um, you know. But you've mentioned a few very core things. I mean, you've mentioned on one side the high integrity issue, and it could be with your clients. You need clients that are high integrity, and the people that work for you that are high integrity. You know, most things are two sides. You've got great customers and great employees and either one of them with low integrity can get you in trouble and having your sort of antenna out for if you've got a client who's trying to do awful things often the agent the advisor can get in trouble as well then you've also mentioned in terms of putting together business plans uh testing them for their assumptions testing them for fragility yes looking at new things but but the more that you as a professional or whatever business you're in have done your homework and have really tried to do it right, the more flexibility there is going forward with the client or whoever you're working with in terms of trust, even when things don't always go right, 
because at least you've made a competent, serious effort at trying to do it right. Um, and, and that type of um, – that just builds trust and builds long, longevity in relationships. Emily, let, let me ask you a question, sort of your best advice for people. You've been in business yourself for 16 years. You've seen lots of others in business. Some of your best advice for people in business in terms of business strategy and how they, they approach it. Yeah, the, um, the cool part about being a business owner and entrepreneur is that you have really, really good ideas. And a lot of the, the terrible thing is you have a lot of them. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, part of the joy is coming up with new things to do and the newness. And I feel like I've been in business forever, but also I just started. And so like a lot of it is just how you look at all the things you want to do. I love the comment about having 50 ideas, but you can only really execute 15. Like we look at everything through these human centered design models because that's what we do. And we do tons and tons and tons of research, not just for clients, but how people buy from us. So we look at like an idea and we want to say, okay, is this a feasible idea? Like, is this something that we can actually do with the resources we have? Is it actionable? Like, can I put this on a timeline? You know, can I, can I actually do this? Is this in my wheelhouse? And then is it desirable? Which is, does the market even care about it? And, and a lot of times the answer is no to one of those quadrant or one of those pieces of the puzzle. And then the answer is, well, that idea is going to get backburnered until it does fit those three ideas, feasible, feasible, actionable, and desirable. Like that is how we think about everything. And I always bite off way, the more, way more than I can choose. So having people around me who are really good systems thinkers, really good, um, just very opposite of how I think, I think is one of the most valuable things as a business that you could possibly do is not have surround yourself with people who say yes to you all the time or are just like you, but people have a very different perspective in terms of their own personal background, their race, their gender, their age, their you know, socioeconomic status, and just trying to get that diversity of perspectives in a business, especially when you have a business like mine that's serving very different audiences, um, is one of the best ways to really keep yourself grounded and then focused on the one next thing you have to do. Well, so there's three or four things you, you work through in terms of strategic questions and issues, and, and, and I think just terrific. Um, you know, can you do it? And is it actionable? It's something that you could actually do. Is it something also that your firm will be good at? Will you not just do it, but are, can you be effective at it? And then a third question is, does the market actually want it? Is there someone that actually wants to buy the service that you're trying to sell or whatever the product is you're trying to sell? Um, and, and then I think more and more coming back to what's the one core goal, the one core thing we're trying to accomplish and being willing to throw out ideas that are outside of that. So three or four questions to analyze a strategy. Can you do it? Is it actionable? You know, it's, can you do it? Will you be good at it? Uh, and then does the market actually want it? And I think those are just three great, um, great, great concepts. Uh, thank you. And then, then clarifying more and more down to the core goal. Amy, yourself, you've worked with a lot of businesses of lots of different sizes. What's the best advice you have for businesses in terms of their own strategy and how to approach strategy? Definitely, you know, out of the gate, get clarity on the goal. And there's a collaboration aspect to that, where um, our firm is definitely in there 
with our clients, again, as an extension of their team, getting really clear on the goal and talking about, you know, sometimes the client thinks they have a certain goal, but they haven't really identified why that's the goal. Is that really going to get them um, the kind of result at the end of the day that they want with, uh, with, again, with their customers and their different stakeholder groups? So getting clear on the goal and then backward mapping from that. So when I say backward mapping, it's really this whole journey backwards from the goal of all these things that have to take place on the road that get us to the goal. Um, so, and part of that, again, is going to be thinking like your customers, thinking like your influencers, really building a tribe. And in some cases with our clients, I mean, we are changing um, the national and the global conversation through innovative storytelling and telling our clients stories about the unmet needs in the marketplace that they're uniquely poised to serve, telling those stories um, in all kinds of ways. It might be the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Um, it might also be the leaders of the company um, doing video segments um, and with the interactive stories on the company's website. Um, using social channels very effectively, doing some unique things on Instagram, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, just across the board. So it's really about, you know, backward mapping from this clear goal uh, that has to be mission worthy. And then um, thinking like the customers and the influencers, tribe building, and ultimately changing the conversation and being very clever and innovative about how we do that. I think that's fantastic, and I think so many people have said this in different ways, but if you can actually clarify that goal, here's our goal for whatever it might be, and then backwards mapping, we're looking at, okay, what are the steps to that goal? Let me do this as we wrap up. Uh, ask each of you how people can reach you. Uh, Amy Hesser, quickly, how can people find Hesser Communications? Probably the, the fastest way to just um, for us to link up is on LinkedIn. So um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. Thank you. Emily, the best way to reach Lime Red and Emily Lonegro. I'm all over LinkedIn and I'm LimeRed.io. Thank you very much. David, quickly on how to reach you, uh, whether it's in the commercial brokerage business or the truck stop business, how do people reach you, David? Uh, well, my email address is pretty easy. It's my first and then my last name, so david at schwalb.com, so D-A-V-I-D at S-C-H-W-A-L-B.com, and uh, I'm a big LinkedIn user, so, uh, you know, sometimes it it gets more of my attention if someone sends a message to me through LinkedIn versus my regular email. Thank you very, very much. And, and Jamie, brilliant thoughts. Thank you. How do people reach you? Oh, great, Scott. Yes, I I'm definitely reach out on LinkedIn, but would love to hear from everyone on the social channels as well. We are The Real Street Sense on Instagram and Street Sense on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Thank you very, very much. And John, finally, how do people reach uh, John Nikovich? Uh, you know, my email address is John 
at performancegroup.com. So it's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-I-X-G-R-O-U-P. That's all one word, dot com. Uh, or I'm on LinkedIn also, so either way works great. Great. I want, I want to thank all of you for joining us. We'll, we'll distribute this and, and, and so forth. We appreciate you greatly joining us. I hope people that listen will be inspired and thoughtful and learn something from it and get ideas. Um, I certainly appreciate it greatly. And if I can just implement all the things that you said, I know that I'll be successful. Thank Thanks, you, sir. folks, very, very much for joining us. We really appreciate it.